uh, the title Mary's Story. But I was just thinking, um, as I was standing there, it might be also good to call it um, When the Rubber Hits the Road. Okay. Mars and I, my husband and I, were walking into town about three days ago. And as we were walking along, there was a mother coming towards her with her little girl dragging behind. And they were going to school. And just as we pulled alongside them, we heard the mother say to the little girl, yes, there's Mary and there's Joseph, but those parts have been taken. And then we passed on. But we might imagine how that, that conversation had continued to go. So Mary and Joseph has gone, but there's the shepherds. There's the wise men. There's stars and there's angels. I like the idea of stars and angels. We've got glitter, we've got beads, we've got white sheets. But please, don't be the donkey. I haven't got time to make a donkey costume. But that little girl wanted to be Mary. But you know, if we zoom back 2,000 years ago, I don't know if the real Mary would have chosen the part of Mary. Let's look at that story in Luke chapter 1, and I'll be looking at verses 26 to 37. So it says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. How familiar those words are to us, isn't it? Greatly troubled. We need to imagine this young woman, and she was a very young woman. She was probably about the age of 14, not much older than that. She lived in the dusty town of Nazareth, way out from anywhere important. And in her life, she would never have been alone with a strange man. She would never before have spoken to a strange man. She would only have spoken to the men in her very close family. She would have lived a very ordinary life. Her name was Mary. Have you ever been kind of confused by all the Marys in the Bible? There's quite a lot of them, isn't there, in the Gospel? That's because lots of girls were given the name Mary. It means bitterness and suffering. And it was a cry of the nation Israel. They were under the oppressors. And it would be often given to girls. You know, you got over the disappointment that God had not given you a boy. You really wanted a boy. You really wanted the savior, or at least you wanted a soldier to fight. And you'd been given a girl. And so here was this Mary, very much with her life set out in front of her. It would be within rigid guidelines. 
She was going to live a life of servitude. She was going to live a life of hard work and toil. If she was lucky, she was going to get married. If she was lucky, she would have children. She would follow the rules. And within those rules, she would not have a voice. And so here we find Mary in a room with a stranger, a man. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And so the invitation was given. And in one uh, commentary I read, it said, and all creation waited for an answer. You see, Mary, just like the rest of us, was not pre-programmed to say yes. She had a choice. She could say yes. She could say no. What was she going to say? Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. But no, I'm really sorry. No, I can't do this. This is too big for me to do. Please, you've asked the wrong person. Oh, it would keep her awake at night for the rest of her life. It would play on her mind. It would be her first waking thought every morning. In the early days, of course, she could completely understand why she had said no. It wouldn't make sense. She was newly engaged to Joseph. He was a good man. He would never believe this story. It would mean shame. It would mean rejection. It would most likely mean death. In those days, adultery, and this is what this would be seen as, was death by stoning. No, she, she had made the right choice. But as the months went on, and her mind replayed. She could not get out of her mind the words that the angel had spoken. For nothing is impossible for God. He had spoken about the King David, God's son. He had spoken about ruling forever. And so a new scenario started to work through her mind. What would that look like? The mother of a king the mother of the Savior, came in the likeness of David, come in the likeness of David, a warrior king, saving her people from their oppressors, the Romans. Life in a palace. Security. Affirmation. People coming to her that had laughed at her, made cruel jokes, apologizing to her affluence, 
peace. Well, of course, that's rubbish, isn't it? Because we know that that is not how the story went. Mary said to the Lord, said to the uh, Gabriel, the angel, I am the Lord's servant. In some uh, translations, that says, I am the Lord's handmaiden. It actually means, I am the Lord's slave. I have given up my rights. Be to me as you say. I accept this invitation. And we know the life that followed. It wasn't at all as we think it might have looked. There would have been terrible shame. There would have been terrible cruelty to that young woman spoken about her. There was going to be a long, arduous journey on a donkey, fully pregnant. She was going to arrive in a strange place where she knew no one to have her first child, a frightening experience. A little while later, she was going to have to escape with her husband to Egypt because they were slaughtering the baby boys in that area. There were going to be years of mundane living, day in, day out, watching this son that had such promise over him being a carpenter. And then there was probably widowhood. We don't know what happened to Joseph. And it's very likely that Jesus' brothers did not believe who Jesus was. So there was, there was division in the family. There was her unmarried son roaming around the country with 12 other people. Oddballs, maybe. Shut out of the synagogue. Vilified. Rejected and ultimately crucified on a cross, Mary at the bottom, watching him. What was that life? Did Mary ever wonder, what a mess? I never thought it would look like this. That little girl wanted to be Mary in that play. Fortunately, none of us are going to have to play Mary. That part has been taken and it's changed our lives. Today is, I understand, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so much of Mary's life can be seen in the lives of the persecuted people. And praise God, we trust that their experience, their full experience, is never really going to be the same for us. But you know, there are characteristics in this story that are true of our discipleship as we follow Jesus. First of all, we have freedom of choice, just like Mary. We have the right to say yes, and we have the right to say no. And there is a decision, isn't there, for all of us right at the start, just as Mary, as we heard her talk to Gabriel, where we can say yes to Jesus. But it's not just a one-off yes. It's a day-by-day -day decision, isn't it? Yes, I will. No, I won't. That is one of the characteristics we face. Another characteristic is fear. I don't know if any of you here are fear-averse. I'm pretty um, fear-averse myself. Um, but, you know, fear is part of this. Fear is actually part of the package. Interestingly, when Gabriel came along, he said to her immediately, fear 
not. It seems to be a bit of an angel line, doesn't it? You know, a few months earlier, he was seeing Zechariah in the temple. He was, Zechariah was petrified. And Gabriel says, do not be afraid. Max Lucado says that in the gospel, there's 125 Christ-issued imperatives. Eight of those, we might be surprised, the second most common command is love God and love your neighbor. 21 of those um, commands actually involve fear. It says, fear not, do not be afraid, take heart, have courage. Fear of the unknown is part of what we're involved with. It's about faith, isn't it? Faith. Another thing that we might consider in our lives is that it's not always going to look as we thought it would look. In fact, often it looks a real mess. Sometimes we make bad decisions and we end up in messes, but sometimes we make the absolutely right decision. We follow what we believe to be true, and yet it still looks a mess. Um, I became a Christian well over 30 years ago now, and I still have this picture in my mind what I thought what it might look like. I somehow thought I'd scrabbled out of the river of life. I got God on my side. It was all going to be okay. I had a raft. I can, I can see it. I think I had a deck chair on the raft, and I was going to float down to my final destination. Well, I hadn't read the book. I didn't know the stories. You have to think of Joseph sold into slavery, Naomi widowed, Moses tending sheep, Paul in chains, Mary at the foot of that cross. As a lady called Corrie ten Boone, I don't know if you've ever read any of her stories, Corrie ten Boone was put into Ravensbrook concentration camp in her early 50s. Uh, she went in with her sister. Her sister died. They had been, um, it was in uh, Holland, and they had been harboring Jews. And she said that the Christian life is sometimes can be seen as, as a huge tapestry. But we're on the underside of that tapestry. And so as we look at our life, it's a mess. There's tangled bits of, of um, cord. There's knots. We can't really see a pattern. He said, she said, it's only when really we get to heaven that we get to see the top, that we get to see the pattern that God is stitching with our lives, and it's going to be a beautiful pattern. So we've got freedom of choice, we've got fear, and we've got a mess. The fourth point is that none of us can do it alone. It's really interesting of all the questions Mary could have asked. The one question was, how can be, this be so? She needed the Holy Spirit. I was listening to a, pre a preacher speak the other day, and his question was, which I thought was really interesting, you might want to ask yourselves. He said, what is it that you are doing today that if God doesn't come through for you, you are really stuck. What is it that you are doing today that you need God to come through for you in to find the answer? Danielle Strickland said, Jesus will always lead you to a place 
where you can't be the answer. 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Oh, how much we don't want to hear that, do we? We so want to be in control. But you see, if we're in control, if everything's tied down, if everything's sorted, why do we need a saviour? And the fifth one is following Jesus will inevitably lead to our brokenness. See, Mary was a broken woman. She followed Jesus. She sacrificed her life. She said yes to Gabriel. John Eldridge writes, Until we are broken, our life will be self-centered, self-reliant, our strength will be our own. So long as you think you are really something in and of yourself, what will you need God for? It's interesting, isn't it? I don't really, I've never really considered that before I looked at the life of Mary. I don't think there are need to be broken. And a wonderful way of illustrating this that I have, um, has, um, have has come to me is you know in the story of the 5,000 there's actually probably 15,000 5,000 men, women, children and they just had five loaves and two fishes one little boy came and gave his lunch and what did Jesus do? He took it he blessed it he broke it and he gave it and you know that little boy was filled everyone was filled Everyone was filled. It's something that we see in communion, isn't it? Where the bread is taken, it's blessed, it's broken, it's passed around. Mary's life was taken, blessed, broken. But the wonderful thing about Mary's story is that so often we forget that on that day of Pentecost, she was in the upper room. We think of the 12 disciples, but we forget Mary was there. And as the Spirit fell, she received Jesus back inside herself, living in her. But because of what she had done, so did everybody else. That's just, I think, such an amazing illustration to think of that. In John 12, it says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains only a simple seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So I don't know what you think of this list. Yes or no, fear, may look like a mess, Reliance on the Holy Spirit, brokenness. You know, for me, when I, I'm in a place of comfort, that seems okay. I just really like this quote that said, if I can find it, here it is, Jesus will always lead you to a place where you can't be the answer. That sounds very neat to me. I sing these songs where we talk about going ahead, marching, being a soldier, I know that fear is part of it. Yes, call me out upon the water. I, want, I don't want to be in the boat with the other disciples. I want to be there out on that water. 
And it's good until I'm actually in that situation. And then it changes slightly. This summer, um, for, as we have done for the last 20 years, we went to New Wine. I think this morning it was promoted. Um, it's a Christian camp. We love it. Most of the time, we love it. And it's a place where there's 12,000 people crammed onto the campsite. You know, you hear worship. There's the most incredible worship. Speakers come in from all over the world. There's so much that's going on. And you hear the most fantastic testimonies. Particularly this year, there was testimony after testimony after testimony. Incredible. And everybody's on the stage that's giving it, and you're thinking, wow, what lives they lead. But on the final morning of waking up, unusually, because I'm normally just kind of rolling off the camp bed, I woke up in Yeovil Hospital. I'd had a headache for three days. It was very severe on parts of it. So on the Friday night, late, I'd gone in, and they went, maybe just need to check this out. So I'd gone. We were there, 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, early hours of Saturday, Yeovil Hospital, and I had no headache. I was completely fine. I was going, no, no, I'm fine. We'll go. They went, we'll just check it out. We'll just check it out. So there I was that following morning, and I knew the ward round was at 9 o'clock. And I was up, I was dressed, makeup on, hair wash, sitting on the end of the bed, bag-packed, looking at this consultant. And the consultant stood there, and the registrar stood there, and they were surrounded by all these newly appointed doctors straight out of university, hanging on his every word. And they went, well, what should we do? I want to go, I want to go. No, we'll, ju we'll just do one more check, just very quick, a blood test. So there I was, totally fit, but surrounded by five very, very ill people. And I had a chat with God. I said, just get me out of here. I don't want to be here. I felt so full of fear. I was saying, God, look, look, I, you may love these people, but I don't love these people. I don't know what to do. I haven't got the words. I haven't got the training. And I sat there. On my desk in front of me on the table, I had Living Dangerously, written by a guy called Simon Gillibow, about life as a missionary in war-torn Burundi. They lost my notes. I was there for another eight hours with those sick people. Later that day, I was chatting to a nurse. I had watched him go in and out all day. I've thought, since thought, actually, he was a lot like Jesus. He's got a little beard, as I imagined he was about 30. And all day, he was coming in to our little area. And he was, I, I wish I could do the Somerset accent. They'd all got the Somerset accent. He was calling everybody, my lovely. My lovely, can I wipe your bottom? Can I get you a sick bowl? Can I just change your sheets? He was so wonderful. And anyway, I was telling him that I come from New Wine. Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't about drinking. And yep, it was a Christian camp. And yep, we were allowed to drink wine. And I said to him, I was telling him about the healings that were taking place. I said, you know, we, we pray in the name of Jesus and people are healed. And I told him about my friend Anne, who had been blind, been prayed for and could see. 
And he looked at me and he said, so, it's funny, isn't it? He said, you have come from a place where there is so much healing and you have come in here. And I thought, yeah, it's hysterical. It's ironical. But I look back and I think, that's what we're called to do, to be out in the world taking what we've got. But it's uncomfortable. Tonight is a night of concentration, worship, learning, a time of preparation for the week. You see, we're all in this play. We all have parts in his story, and we play ourselves. It's a time to prepare for the rest of the week, what's going to happen over the rest of the week. It's a time to set our faces and prepare our hearts. Mary, when she met with Gabriel, asked one question. But her answer was very swift. She said yes. And her answer was quick because this young woman had decided well before that meeting what her response would be to God. She had decided long before over a long period that she was a servant of the Lord and willing to do his work. The question is, will we do his work? Many of us won't have eight hours in which to decide whether to do that or not. It will be a quick decision. Will we follow him? And just one quick aside. I remember years ago at New Wine, once hearing a talk, and some talks just stay with you, don't they? It was by a lady called Heidi Baker. And she spoke on this very, very story. She spoke about Mary receiving the seed of life from the Holy Spirit. She said how Mary said yes, but then needed nine months of that baby growing. And she spoke to people who maybe at one stage in their life had known God's call in their life, a call for a purpose, who had said yes, that they somehow knew that that's what they were meant to do. And they had received that. And maybe like Mary going to see Elizabeth, if you remember, she went full of praise. Elizabeth also was pregnant, full of praise. And yet that would have been a long nine months. And maybe, as those people that Heidi Baker was talking about, talking to, maybe over that period, suddenly the situation became very fearful. The waves became big. The mountains, the problems became big. And for some reason, that seed that had been planted in their heart had never been given birth to. If that's you tonight, if that's something that you, as you listen to me, are feeling in your heart, I just want to say to you today that God doesn't do guilt. That God's love is new every morning. Repent if that is your situation. Repent if that was too long ago and can't be changed. Because God has plans and purposes for your life.
Maybe that baby is still alive and you can give birth. Well, then come back to him, bring him back. Put your life back and say, I accept that. Lamentations 3 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness.